Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson. Trauma coach Allie Cates is here. Hi, Allie. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my God, thank you for being here. We were just talking a little bit, but your work is just around helping anxious adults find relief through healing their emotional health with somatic, mind, body healing, and safety. Uh, Your focus is obviously trauma recovery, but the nervous system regulation, which we were kind of starting to dive into and we'll get into a little bit more, but I wanted you to kind of um, just start with telling the listeners how you got into this work, because I know there's a personal aspect to it for you and just your own personal journey is kind of what led you here. So will you share that story with us? Yeah, I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Okay. Give you the Reader's <laughs> Digest. <laughs> no um, version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it really starts is at 22, my husband and I lose three people in nine and a half months. And these deaths brought up all of the suppressed trauma that I had shoved down, kind of saved for a rainy day and actually completely forgot about and disassociated from in my childhood until these deaths were brought up. And so I went on a mental health journey. I tried it all. I tried hypnotherapy, CBT, EMDR, psychotherapy, brain rewiring, and nothing really seemed to move the needle until I was able to get into my body and work with the emotional charge that's held in our body because we can't outthink or outtalk trauma. So I was kind of like the beginning of it is that I had this, you know, this very specific moment where I was having, I was at my lowest low having suicidal ideation. And I remember calling a coach in town and he was like, what's going on? I was kind of telling him what was going on. He was like, you're not going to believe me, but I work with veterans. And he's like, Mm. you know, what I've learned is that everyday civilians can also have trauma. And he's like, this is what you're experiencing is trauma. And I was like, there's no way, like haven't been to war. Um, I was raped when I was 15, but I still had like not put it together that that was trauma. Mm. And so I worked with him for about three years in really intense trauma recovery. And, you know, fast forward three years, we're three weeks before my husband and I get married and I get diagnosed with late stage Lyme and like five other autoimmune conditions. 
come back from our honeymoon. I sit in an IV room for nine and a half months, three to four times a week, six to eight hours a day. Like my life is just in shambles. I'm really sick, have a port in my chest, and I hit my breaking point. I have sepsis in my port, like at the hospital. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. But I will tell you that on my good days, I knew that this experiencing was breaking me down to build me up into this person Mm -hmm. to help people see that they're more than what's happened to them in their past. Um, I literally went to college because I wanted to be the next like Aaron Andrews and sit on the side of the football field and like look at the cute boys and interview them. (laughs) (laughs) So if you told me that I would be in trauma recovery, I would have laughed you out of the room. But that's like my Reader's Digest version of how I got here. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of using pain for purpose. And so, you know, I hear so much of that in your story. And I know we just touched on the brief pieces, but you keep saying the word trauma, which mm-hmm. if you are on Instagram these days is just kind of like a buzzword. And so I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, blah, 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 trauma, trauma, trauma. But like what you're describing is trauma. And what I keep trying to say to people is, yes, it's a buzzword, but we all have it. And especially the last couple of years, it was like a collective trauma that we went through. So if people are listening and they're like, well, how do I know if I have trauma? Because you said you hadn't really connected those dots. Like what would your first thing or your first note to them be to look at? Yeah. I would say like, if you are, you know, walking around and like, if a door slams and you jump, or if you have these like big reactions to maybe smaller things or you're getting triggered a lot. Like for me, it came up a lot in when I was drinking because, Mm -hmm. and then I got into sobriety. Right. But like, for me, it was really showing up when I was having, when I was drinking alcohol. Um, I would say if you're jumping when, you know, a door is slammed or you're having these big reactions, like that's something to look at because your nervous system is in a space of what's called fight or flight. Right. Yeah. So when we think about trauma, we think about like little T traumas and big T traumas, but really trauma is anything that left your nervous system in fight or flight longer than it takes to outrun the metaphorical tiger. So COVID, right? Like we were all running this out, trying to outrun this metaphorical tiger and we were stuck there for longer than 30 minutes or something for two years, right? Yeah. So you know, I feel like a lot of people are experiencing that and we're in a mental health epidemic. I would say we're in a mental health pandemic and mm-hmm. like a lot of people are like starting to recognize that they have trauma or that they have a lot of anxiety past just the point of like getting anxious, you know, like they have a lot of anxiety. Um, so I would say like, just be in touch with yourself and try to notice like what's coming up and specifically what's coming up in your body because your body doesn't lie to you. Right. Yes. Body keeps the score. I always say that, but like the truth that I think is really sad about our society is, you know, I've had conversations recently where I'm realizing so many of us live in this consistent state of anxiousness or just, you know, like depression, anxiety, and we are just told to kind of keep going. Like there Mm -hmm. isn't this thing that's like, wait, pause. What, like, why are you feeling this? you know, like, let's look at the behind the scenes version of what's happening to you. It's more like, let's throw a pill at this. Let's have a drink. Let's do anything to take the symptom away, which only ends up exacerbating the problem. Like you said, yours came out a lot when you're drinking. I identify with that completely. It makes my anxiety so much worse alcohol, but that's what we're taught, you know, is like, to have a drink at the end of a hard day or to help yourself go to sleep. And it's like, no, that's actually just making it worse. So do you see a lot of that when your clients first start working with you? 
Yes. Yeah. I see a lot of like the biggest thing that my clients have a hard time doing is just acknowledging their emotions. Yeah. Because we do, we're taught to shove it under the rug. Like we're not taught in school how to navigate anger or sadness specifically, right? It's kind of like, let's shove it over there. That's a thing we don't want to talk about mm-hmm. or let's numb or let's try and cope in these unhealthy ways that I think a lot of us think are super healthy because we're engaging in them in like a social activity way. So we're like, this is the norm. Like you're weird if you don't do these things. Completely. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you kind of mentioned before we started the that trauma doesn't discriminate. And I think that's such a good point because you know, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, like we constantly are chasing these things. And then you get to the point where you have the success, you have the money and you're really miserable. And my co-host on Fridays always says like, yeah, money makes things nicer, but it doesn't like fix the problem. And you mentioned you had a personal experience with that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I was in my late, later teens, we came into wealth And I remember thinking, you know, because I grew up in a home where like money was, there's money scarcity mindset, there was money scarcity. And I was like, if only we had money, everything would be better. Everything would be better. Oh my goodness. If only we had this. And then I came into that and, you know, all throughout college and, and the later part of high school, I was just like, I feel almost worse. Like, I feel like I have access to all these things, but now my stuff that I've shoved down is coming up in such a big way. And, you know, I hear that from my clients, like, well, only if this would happen, only if Mm -hmm. this like external thing would happen, then I would feel better Then my mental health would be better. I think a lot of us put so much emphasis on if only X, then my mental health will feel better. But it's like, I'm telling you as someone that has a lived experience, when you get those things, it doesn't feel better. It actually just shows you how much you need to pay attention to your mental health now because it only comes from within. You can have all the money, you can have all the success, you can have all the fame, but it really only comes from within. And, you know, your body is eventually going to show you that, that like you are burnt out or you're anxious or you're depressed. Yeah. I also was just thinking as you were talking, um, I have a friend going through kind of like a relationship drama right now, like a situationship, if you will. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I think one of the other things that I hear a lot or that I used to say to myself was like, if only my relationship was good, then I would feel better. Or if only like I met the right guy, you know, like we kind of put these like big statements on relationships too. And it's like, it puts us in this position to be chasing constantly. But then when you get there or you get in a relationship and it's not this picture perfect fantasy or Disney movie or anything like that, it does lead you back to the same place of like having to face yourself. And you said it perfectly because you were like, it's just like your all your inner stuff is it's always that where the answer is like that is, but we do go chasing. What about the relationship piece? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, with like with relationships in general or with what do you mean by that? Well, just like uh, where it's the same thing, right? Like it's the same thing as chasing money. So do you see that a lot with people like coming in thinking, Oh my God, if my husband just acted better, you know, if my wife just did this then, and it's like the, if then, you know, thing that we get into and it never really pans out. Yeah. 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 You know what I see a lot too, with like the, if then statements is that it's a nervous system thing which is that like, if you've been in a place of fight or flight or you've been running, right? Like you get addicted to fight or flight, you get addicted to the highs, you get addicted to the lows. And so like specifically, you know, when clients get into relationships, that's where all their stuff starts to show up. Mm -hmm. So then they get even more triggered or then like 
their partner says something and then it triggers something in the past. And then they can't see if it's really the relationship or if it's like the past that's getting triggered and coming into the present. Right. Yes. So then it just gets like, all the time. yeah, same. Speaking <laughs> from like, experience. Still happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true, right? Is because your nervous system is so used to being patterned in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's trauma right there is like your past is being brought into the present. And then you're trying to like work through it or reenact it in the present being like, well, I'm not, you know, five years old or 10 years old or however years old I'm 30 or 40 years old or 50 years old. So I have more tools, but yeah, it doesn't fit anymore. So you can't actually work it through the way that you think you can work it through. Right. I have to say to myself, like, what is actual reality right now? Like, is this happening in this scenario? Is this an old fear? All of those things. But it's such a weird line to walk because, you know, you also hear the thing about like, unless you do the healing work or whatever, like you're going to continue to pick the same situations until you really yeah. learn lesson, however you want to say it. I mean, there's a lot of different spiritual ways to say that, but like, so it's, it's hard to figure out like when you're in it, how do we know if it's us going through something from our past or being triggered to our old traumas or are we recreating a situation or is it just fear? Yeah. I mean, I would say that it's all of it combined, right? Like I think that, you know, for me specifically, I can just talk about from like a personal level is that there was a lot of childhood trauma that came up in my relationship. And then when I was drinking or whatnot, it would show up when I was drinking. But even when I got sober, even when my husband and I got sober, it would still show up. And so what it took is actually me moving the trauma out of my body to then come back to a place of rest and digest and know that like my body's safe and I'm safe. And so once I was able to like create that safety in my body, then I wasn't as triggered. Then Mm -hmm. like I always talk about with clients is like, it's almost like a wound on your arm. And like for years, you've just bandaged the wound. Like you've just slapped stuff on it to like keep it um, hidden from everyone else. And then someone comes in and accidentally bumps it. And then you're hemorrhaging your pain all over the place, right? Like what you have to do is like heal that wound from the inside out. And even though it sounds corny, it's like doing that is because you have to move the charge out of your body. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much you know about like, do you know a lot about somatic experiencing with Peter Levine? I don't know. Tell us more. I mean, I know some, but I would love to know more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is where I like nerd out on this subject. I I love love this so much. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Peter Levine was this gentleman who worked with veterans as well. Okay. And he, what he brought to trauma recovery is he studied animals out in the wild and he looked at specifically prey. Like how come prey don't get traumatized? And what he found is that they complete what's called a stress cycle or a trauma cycle. And what happens is it's a circle. And I feel like you, are you releasing the video? I'm not sure if you are. So I'm just going to draw it for listeners at home. Yeah. Is it starts at the top. So at the top, you have a trigger. Okay. Okay. Then you go into fight or flight. Okay. Then you go into discharge down at the bottom. Then you go into rest and digest, which is your parasympathetic nervous system. You hear this all the time. It's like you want to be in this space in order to fully heal. You want to be in rest and digest. Most people go from being triggered, fight or flight triggered fight or flight. And Mm -hmm. when they do that, they build this emotional charge in their bodies. Okay. That emotional charge gets stored in your fascia tissue and your fascia tissue can hold up to a thousand pounds of emotional charge. So that's like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but if you've like been running or yoga and you start crying or you're in massage and you're like, this is old pain. It's because you're tapping on that old emotional charge that never got released 
when at the time when it needed to be released. Mm. So if someone told you to stop crying or they pushed you physically or, you know, emotional abuse, like, and you shoved it and you stored it, it doesn't just go away. People think like, oh, well, that happened in the past. It was 10 years ago, et cetera. So I'm not, I'm not in that much pain. Right. Yeah. But most people, what happens if you go back to the circle, they actually don't discharge that pain. And so what I help clients do is actually discharge that pain so that they can go into rest and digest and okay. create like a new pattern in their nervous system. Yeah. And oftentimes it's for the first time and finding safety is actually really scary. Yeah. Cause we're not used to it. Right. No. Yeah. And we're living in these fight or flight responses. Right. So that's what we get comfortable with and yeah, just like, naturally like go back to. Yep. Or Crazy. like people have like a lot of um, like disassociation. So when they yeah. get like glazed over, yeah, they're like not there. Have you ever had that? We're talking to someone. You're oh, like, yeah. I mean, I, have, I disassociate sometimes too. Yep. Like, and yeah. I can't think of words. It'll be really yep. weird. Like your brain just goes away. You're there, mm-hmm. but you're not there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's like the nervous system because it's you're you're staying right here. You're staying in the fight or flight because mm-hmm. your body's like trying to figure out. It's like, Kelly, where are you? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to discharge mm-hmm. this pain. Yeah. 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 So let's get into a little bit then how, you know, some of the things that you do, like techniques and stuff that you do with clients. And we talked a little bit before the podcast, because I don't mean this as a knock on therapy. This is probably like a polarizing statement, but therapy is wonderful, I think, as a foundation. And for me, it was life-changing and life-saving. And then I started, the more I got into it, the more I was like, okay, talk therapy isn't going to be the only thing that helps me on my healing journey. And so I've started incorporating so many other things. That's been over a decade. I mean, this is like not something I figured out overnight, but you talk about that a lot too, that like that um, therapy isn't always the answer to mental health freedom. And so can you speak to that a little bit and and kind of explain what we're, we're meaning by that? Yeah. You know, for me, and I hear this from a lot of people too, is they do go to talk therapy and they're like, it helps us only to a point. And yeah, it is great. It's like validating. It's good to understand what's going on. It's good to figure it out and talk it out, especially like people like myself or like external processors. Are you an external processor? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's yep. why I have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's like for us external processors, we need to talk it out in order to kind of make sense of it. Yeah. But you know, and on my healing journey, it's like I tried all these other types of like talk therapy techniques like CBT and hypnotherapy. And what EMDR. is CBT? Keep referencing cognitive that. cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, so it's okay. Like, yeah. Yep. And then EMDR is like the eye movement. Mm-hmm. And then hypnotherapy where they put you in the trance and help you get back mm-hmm. to the memory to help you, you know, not be as scared of remembering what happened. Um, But yeah, talk therapy for me, like I would always go into these therapy appointments and they would be like, you know what? I feel like you're doing really good. And I feel like you've got it figured out. Like I call myself a scrappy MF. Like I'm a, I don't, can I swear? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm a, like, I'm a scrappy motherfucker. Like I literally like, so they will be like, do this technique or try this at home or try, you know, thinking this thought. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing it, but I'm still feeling it in my body in a really big way. Mm. And they were like, okay, I think you're good. Like you've, you know, like, you're fine. Like you should be fine by now. And I was like, I don't feel fine. Like I knew that there was something else. So, you know, as I'm learning more and, you know, becoming a somatic experience practitioner, it's like your body is the first thing that remembers stuff, right? So 
talk therapy is a top-down approach, which is what they call it in psychology. So you're working with like the head down, right? And Mm -hmm. somatic experiencing is a bottom up. So we bring the body in first. When you get anxiety, you feel it in your stomach or your chest first. You don't, and then you feel it in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I always say my body knows before my mind does. Like be in situations or in relationships, having conversations, whatever it is, and my body will start to panic. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like it is the most bizarre feeling sometimes because it logically doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But so I've started trusting that just like my body knows and I make decisions. And then it's been so interesting to watch like when you're trusting your body to see how it plays out. And my body has never been wrong, like not one time. And it's so crazy because even in talk therapy, it's like I would get so stuck in my head of like the logic behind things, like figuring it out or like understanding why everyone's doing what they're doing. I think that's fascinating and it's helpful, but it isn't always the answer for me. Like if I'm not in touch with my body, then I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like talking, if we could out talk our trauma, we would all be healed. Yeah. Because we're in our heads every day. Right. Let's be honest. Yeah. And that's what I say too. So I know it is like, I would say in the mental health space, I feel like that's the one thing that we're not doing a justice around is like talking about when talk therapy isn't working for people and what's the next step. Mm -hmm. So I like to preach it from the rooftops because I'm so grateful that I found someone that was able to help me regulate my nervous system and get back into my body because I felt like I was alone, like going to talk therapy and it not working or resonating. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. So what can you kind of explain a little bit? We've talked a little bit about somatic therapy here on the podcast, but I know you're in, you're getting a new certification for the somatic training. Experiencing. Somatic experiencing. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. So I mentioned him before, but Peter Levine, who's like the one that started somatic experiencing, he, you know, when you become a practitioner, you're working with people and their nervous system and helping them get back into your body. So essentially it's like, we're connecting you to complete that stress cycle that I talked about earlier. Right. Yeah. So through helping you like be like, okay, Kelly, where are you feeling that in your body? And then helping you go through the cycle and actually complete the cycle. Right. So that's one avenue that I use with clients and that I use it with clients when they have no idea where their body is. Like their disassociation is strong. They're living like way out here. Like they're okay. like, I don't even know how I got to your office. Like I'm oh, wow. completely cut off from my body. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that can help people. And then there's other, there's, you know, myofascial release, which is like a little bit stronger. You're getting, you're working with the body and then you're letting the emotions come out, whether that's through, you know, crying or expressing anger, et cetera. So there's different ways, but somatic in general is just body. So it's okay. getting in touch with the body and most of us are living outside of our bodies. Yeah. Well, when, when we're going so, so fast and so much too, like it is hard to connect to your body because I, I found that like recently I've been super busy with work and I've been traveling a lot again and it's yeah. great and I love it and it's super energizing when I'm in it. And then when I get home, it's like, it almost takes me a couple days to reconnect to myself, which I hate to admit, you know, like after this much work, I'm like, God, am I not fixed yet? Like, (laughs) it's obviously like a lifelong journey, but, but I still have that pattern. And my job is one of like caretaking in some capacities. And so it's like connecting back to myself, even though I'm trying when I'm on the road and stuff, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't, I can't quite even get there to myself immediately. Like it takes a minute to kind of re integrate. Yeah, yeah, integrate. That's a good way to yeah. say it. Yeah. I mean, when you're on the road, do you ever do any like body practices, like just like a body scan when maybe you're like you're sitting in the car or on the bus or anything? I probably should more. I try to start my day with meditation every day. And but when I I find when I don't do that, or like even if I skip it for a couple days, it's like then my head is like, ah, oh, we don't need to, you know, like I don't want to <laughs> go back to it. And until yep. I crash, I'm like, or I like can't. Oh like my anxiety starts to creep up again. This happened to me actually a couple of days ago. And I called a friend of mine who kind of is on this healing journey with me. She's like a mentor. And 
I was telling her this thing and she goes, this happens to you every time you're on the road a lot. Like, it's just like a pattern for me, you know? And it's like, if I get out of my routines of taking the time to do the breath work and all that stuff, because it can seem silly when you're busy, but it's so important, obviously. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, is like, that's the, because I have that in my business, you know, like we're all human, right? Yeah. And it's like, when you're in go mode, you're in go mode. So you have to be on, you have to be like ready. You have to be, you kind of have to put your shit aside and be like, okay, I'm I'm here. I'm a professional. Right. And then when that keeps on happening, you're like, I know I'm going to crash. And that's that pattern that I was talking about before is like, we get addicted to fight or flight. Like mm-hmm. we really do, because if you've lived there for a long time, you're like, this feels comfortable. Yeah. And I don't know if you're like a, do you, are you a, a image person? Mm-hmm. Very visual. Okay. Yeah. So I, do you snowboard? No. Do you like tube? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> do you ski? Just tube. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ski. Yeah. I'm okay. more like water sports than cold weather sports, but yeah, okay, right. I can imagine okay. it. I've skied. I've skied. Okay. Okay. So I want you to imagine that like, and this is what I tell people is like, imagine that, you know, you're going down the groomer all day and you know, you're going to fall at this point, you know, you're going to like hit an edge here or whatnot. You're going to fall off your tube here. Yeah. You keep on doing it because you, there's control in it. You know exactly how it's going to go. So it gives you this false sense of control. Okay. And then if I took you over here and I was like, Hey Kelly, there's like this new powder spot. We're not sure if we're going to hit a branch here, but like, let's try it out. You'd be like, as fun as that sounds, and I know I'm going to get a lot of lessons from it. Like, I'm cool. I think I'm going to stick here, Ali. Like, yeah. that's the nervous system and your body. Your body's like, I know I should be meditating and doing breath work and getting in my body, but like, it's still really uncomfortable to me. So yeah. Here. Yeah. I know. Even, it. even though when I do it consistently, like the shit could be hitting the fan and I'm calm. <laughs> You know, like I'm able to kind of regulate in this different way. Another thing, and I don't know if any of the listeners would identify with this, but like I've talked a lot about being in recovery for codependency. And that's been a big part of my journey is like not going external for my worth and validation and all the things. Cause I've, God, that one is like so in my bones of like old programming. Um, And so that's kind of what comes up too. It's like I got back home. I, it's quiet work is like still there, but it's a little less. And all I am like is feeling like who's going to make me feel better now? Because yes. <laughs> like now I'm just sitting here with myself and it's weird. Cause like, as much as I've craved this for the last month, the last thing I want to do is like talk to myself when I'm out of touch, you know, yeah. even though it's the only thing that will actually make me feel better. Yeah. I will still go out and try to like, uh, what is it like resource out, Yep. Or my worth and all that stuff or someone to make me feel better or something or work. And it's like, no, it's still not there. Even though I will yeah. not like, I have to still try it sometimes. Yeah. It's like, you got to test the water. So you'd be like, are you sure are it's you really sure? that bad? Are yeah. you sure burnout's really that bad? <laughs> right. I think it's still sure feels that really guy good. Can't make you yeah. feel better. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh man. Oh, so true. Dies hard. Yeah, it does. And I think too, is like, it's a habits, right? Yes. It's like your habits. And I, have you read James Clear Atomic Habits? No. You read that book? Oh, I highly recommend. Okay. Okay. I'll James to the Clear, list. yeah. Atomic Habits. He talks about like habit stacking. And so even yeah. like you brush your teeth, you know, twice a day. So it's like adding something while you're brushing your teeth that will help you get back into your body. If you're like, okay well, I have to brush my teeth and also maybe I can do just like a 15 minute scan of my body. Yeah. Or even when you're out and about, like there's this pressure point right here on your hand. 
I'm just touching in between her index finger and thumb. Yeah. And just squeezing that and being like, okay, I feel this point on me and like, like kind of pumping it. Yeah. And feeling that like, okay, I'm feeling this or getting, doing like a, like shaking. Yeah. Your hands are shaking shaking them because it helps mm-hmm. you be like oh oh my god i have hands I like have oh. a body yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's so crazy okay you when we first initially got introduced you mentioned um three or what maybe it's not three maybe i just made that up no it is three tools that women specifically can implement right now to change their mental health first of all why just women do you work a lot with women i work a lot with I mean, I work with both. Okay. Yeah. I would say women and men. I'm going to okay. make this one gender neutral. Okay. okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll change that. So this is for okay. everybody. <laughs> but what are the three things? I think the first one is acknowledging your emotions because okay. we live so outside of our bodies. Mm-hmm. We are just in out of our emotions. We're like, oh, I'm mad, but we don't actually give ourselves time to actually like feel into the madness. We're like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm mad. And then you keep on get putting it off and then you get pissed off that you're mad. And then now you're pissed off and it just kind of snowballs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing is just acknowledging your emotions. Okay. The second thing is getting in touch with your body. Okay. Like doing something, the somatic stuff that we kind of, you know, touched on maybe the shaking, the acupressure point, which is in between the thumb and the index finger breathing, like taking a big belly, like diaphragmatic breath. Yeah. A lot of this is this is the part that I will make gender specific. A lot of women do not breathe correctly. They breathe up into their chest mm-hmm. and not into their stomach. So doing like diaphragmatic breathing, putting your hands on your stomach and like pushing your stomach out when you breathe in and then exhale, pulling your stomach in. So a lot of people, when they breathe in, they breathe into their chest, not their stomach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shaking, um, even like if you have a lot of anger, like pushing on the wall to like feel yeah. something pushing back towards you, giving you okay. that kind of tension. Um, so anything body-based, I would say, is really important for helping your mental health. And the last thing, and this might be an unpopular take, but getting a hobby. Yeah. You know, guys are better at hobbies than women. I really I do know. feel that. I know. Like, that it's just like a natural thing that men kind of are like, oh, I'm going to pick up this hobby. I pick up a hobby and I turn it into a job like every yes. time. <laughs> I'm yes. like, how do I monetize this? <laughs> yes. You're also an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you have that mindset. <laughs> but I would say like that when I got a hobby and it was just something for like fun mm-hmm. and I could really disconnect from like my work mm-hmm. and constantly, you know, thinking about like what's next, how do you build, how do you grow, et cetera. Like it, dramatically changed my mental health because I'm like, oh, this is something that I can really just like be in the present moment with. I can yeah. just be here. I'm not doing this to, you know, monetize it or to strategize it or all of these things. It's like, you know, and I think, yeah, I mean, I had so much resentment because my husband had so many hobbies and I was like, why do I have all this resentment? Oh, it's because I don't have a hobby. You're like, why don't I do it? Right. <laughs> exactly. Do you have like, any recommendations? Like my friends and I literally have the conversation where we're like, should we get a hobby? Like what, but what should we do? And I, the one thing that I can say that I have not figured out a way to monetize yet that I do okay. do with friends yes. <laughs> is that I go, I love to go on walks and it's such a good way to yeah. like connect with friends. And a lot of times too, um, you know, I used to say working out was a hobby, but it's not because it's, it's not. health yeah. and like whatever. Yeah. 
And so this, I sort of was like, well, this does this fall under the category, but like walking is like therapy to me. I don't know how to explain it, but it releases so much from my body. Even if I go into just being outside, I think even for 20 minutes, and then it can be a great way to catch up with friends that doesn't have to involve alcohol or things like that. So is that an okay hobby? I mean, I would typically say that's not a hobby. (laughs) I know. That's as good as I got right now, I guess. I know. But I think like, what do you like, what's something that you love to do that you feel like you would like the maybe like, what would young Kelly like to do? Well, I actually oddly said last night, I told uh, someone that vintage vintage shopping is like a hobby to me because I love it. Like it feels like picking a needle out of a haystack or like finding a puzzle piece, like when you find the right size, but I turned that into jobs. I know. So, yeah. That's like yeah. related to what you do. Right? I know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I mean, like it's sewing. I don't know why that just came to me, but do you sew? It's so funny. Cause someone recently asked me if I sewed. No, I, maybe. And I can do like basic things, but maybe that would be, I would probably monetize it though. I know. I'm like <laughs> anything that's like in fashion. I'm like, maybe we should stay away from I that. I gotta sew. I like, this is the problem. <laughs> See what about like, but I feel like you have a, you're like a, creator right like you Mm -hmm. have like a creative really strong in you so what about like drawing or painting yeah i just would you actually do it yeah i don't know (laughs) i mean i'm not good at that so that would be good maybe because maybe that's a good thing yeah like that's what i'm saying i wouldn't (laughs) feel like i could sell it (laughs) yeah (laughs) right Yeah. yeah Or just trying like fun things i don't know if there's like a pottery uh ceramics like class in Nashville. Yeah. I'm sure they have them, but doing just stuff like that, that like is just fun and takes you out of like that go, go, go mindset or that you have to monetize it or that it's somehow tied to your work. Like, okay. you know, the minute you can kind of step outside of that and just be like free to create I okay. feel like for a lot of creatives, they're like, Oh, how does this like work and play into yeah. work? Yeah. And it's like okay. doing something that's like totally different. Do you hear this from women a lot where they just are All- struggling? Yeah, uh, time. It's a co- all it's the time. A big conversation amongst my friend group. Here's what I hear hobbies. Are, yeah, here's what I hear are hobbies that make me giggle because I'm okay. like, I used to also think these were my hobbies. So yeah, I'm laughing, listening to true crime podcast. Yeah, why is that Working. not considered that a hobby? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just stretching here. Okay, I know. <laughs> you're like you're calling me out. I don't like it. I'm like, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> okay, so, I mean, so this is what I've heard. Okay, listening to true crime podcasts, specifically true crime, not all podcasts. I think that podcasts are great and like they're very okay. informative, right? Okay. But true crime, like this is something that women love is the true crime. Do you listen yeah. to true crime? I don't, but another thing a lot of my friends listen to is like romance podcast. Okay. It's like basically like their version of like porn, but it's the yeah. audio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but they, they to that. them, that's a hobby, like you're saying. Yeah. So is that, yeah. does that not count? I personally would not say it's a hobby because I think that we're like trying to make these things kind of fit into a hobby. Okay. Right. Okay. I hear that like cooking dinner is a hobby. People but like that's... often not yeah. a hobby. <laughs> okay. What if you People love cooking though? I think that that is different. Like I think you that if you get a creative thing. Yes. I think that if you're very invested in cooking and it's like, it fills you up and it's one of your things okay. different. But when people say like, oh, I'm cooking dinner. So that's my hobby. I'm like, you're just trying to fit this into something. Right. right? Or like, yeah. they'll say like, oh, I'm baking a cake for my son. And I'm like, baking is a hobby. If you like are making it something and it's like yeah. a creative outlet just for fun. Yes. 
Okay. Um, What's other things that I hear? Running. I think I already said that, like going to the gym. Well, yeah. So those things don't count. Cause like a lot of my friends, like one of my friends runs marathons. That's like her passion. I think that's Uh, different. You do? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that's different. Running to just work out though. People are like, oh, it helps me. And I'm like, I think if you have like a, yeah, I think running marathons different because you're like really invested. It's a whole yeah. community. It's a different scene. It's it is a community. That is a true yeah. thing. Um, also, I have friends who play tennis. That's, a hobby. that's a hobby. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just I checking. think that's like more community. Like guys that golf. Mm, that, right. You know, exactly. like they're not going to go pro, but they're right. like they're going out there that's to like hobby. have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just yeah. checking. I'm just trying to <laughs> figure out what actual hobbies are so I can tell my friends. <laughs> um, so there's a couple things that you mentioned too, when we were first initially talking that are tied to trauma. And I thought this was really interesting. Um, just the feeling of being behind in life. And mm-hmm. I want to, I want to get into more details about that. Also anger, which you've brought up a couple times, but how to access anger is fascinating to me. And especially as women, I think we're so taught to like stuff anger and then guys are like only taught to feel anger. So there's a lot around anger. And the other one is, um, the victim mode piece. And so I want to get into all three of those really quick. Let's start with feeling behind in life. So if someone is yeah. listening and they're like, yeah, I have that feeling where my life isn't adding up to what I'm seeing everyone else's add up to. How would this be related to trauma possibly? Yeah. So when you have experienced trauma, you have like a trauma age, right? Okay. So let's say that something happened to you at 13 or 12. Let's just go 13. Okay. Yeah. Until you start working on that, you're going to be stuck at that emotional age. So you could be like 45 walking around with 13 year old mentality. And we see this yeah. a lot. Oh, yeah. We can like, you know, look at people all the time and it's like, oh, you're acting like a 13 year old or an 18 year old, et cetera, because they're stuck in that time. They've never been able to like work through it, find that relief in their nervous system and complete the cycle that I was talking mm-hmm. about. Right. Mm-hmm. So then things will happen. Like people will progress that are like their best friends or maybe they'll get a job and then they'll, you know, start progressing in their life and then they'll feel behind because they're comparing it to their friends who like didn't experience trauma. Uh, right in childhood right yeah so the way that like uh do you know gabber mate he's like a great yes so the way that he talks about childhood trauma is he says you know imagine that you are in a swimming pool with all of your friends okay and trauma this is like specifically childhood trauma but you can relate it to kind of any trauma and someone comes and does a cannonball right next to you so there's all these waves yeah. You look around at all of your friends and you're like, why is no one freaking out over this wave except for me? Like they're all kind of just like going with the wave. They're not panicking. So you're like, mm-hmm. screw that. I'm going to go put on a floaty device. Mm-hmm. So these are like your coping mechanisms. You go put on a floaty device and then you jump back in the pool. You're like, if that happens again, I'm going to be prepared. And then someone comes and jumps in again. And now you're like jerked. You're like jerking around. Right. Yeah. So then you're like, I feel so behind because everyone else is not experiencing this kind of life altering thing that I am experiencing. So that's why you feel behind is because you haven't, you know, like it trauma does make you feel behind because if you haven't worked through that or you're working through it, you're like, how come no one else is like having to go through these things that I'm really having to like deep dive through. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Well, I love that analogy, first of all, because that really helps to figure out like why you're feeling that way. Something else that just popped up for me is as you were saying, like, why is no one else? And I think there's been different points in my life where, you know, the shit has hit the fan. I've been I needed to deep dive into like a little more inner work. And it can feel really isolating when you're looking around at everyone else and they seem to be kind of thriving or you're like, the why me, which this will play into the victim mode thing. Um, but what's interesting, the older I get is like, everyone has shit, right? Oh, like yeah. There is not one person on this earth who has not experienced some form of trauma. Like this life is just traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just, what I, the, you know, the story I've started to really kind of attach to with that is like, everyone just hits it in different seasons. And it's really about what you do with it more yeah. than like, poor me, I'm having to ride this way or I'm needing to put the life jacket on and nobody else is seeming to freak out. It's like, well, maybe theirs just hasn't hit yet. Yeah. Or maybe it already hit and they're coming out of it. Right. True. And they're yeah. like, you know, learning different, different techniques and strategies, et cetera. It's like the healing. Have you ever heard of the spiral of healing? No, I don't think so. It's like healing is like a spiral staircase. 
And so people always think that they go backwards, but like whatever you work through at like step four, you're going to take with you to step five and it's still going to show up Mm -hmm. and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm going backwards. But really you forget is like, you feel like you're going backwards because you're going up a spiral staircase. Yeah. It feels like you're spinning, but really you're still moving upwards. Yeah. But all that stuff that you worked out on step four is still going to be with you. Just it's going to come up in a different way. Yeah. I always hear the corkscrew. Same thing. Oh yeah. Same thing. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let's talk a little bit about, since we mentioned the victim mode here and just kind of like comparing ourselves to others, what are you seeing the most with clients that come to you with trauma and just how they're attaching to the victim mode? Yeah. For me, like, and I want to make a distinction here. It's not that like people aren't a victim, right? I've been, you know, I've been raped and sexually assaulted. So it's like, I completely feel that, but you know, for myself and for clients, it's like they come in and they're stuck in the state of like, woe is me. I'm never going to get better. This is awful. Woe was me. Woe was me. Woe was me. And that's a mentality, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, trauma is awful. And we never want the thing that happened to us to happen again. But also like your past does not have to define your present or your future. Like, yeah. And most people, including myself, have been like, no, this is a thing that's like almost driving me even more is like all this stuff happened to me. So I'm going to prove them wrong. Like mm-hmm. I was the queen of shoving down my emotions, blasting Beyonce and being like, F this. And yes. Like fighting with my <laughs> words, you know, like, yes, yes. Like fighting with my words because that's how I wanted to like express my anger that I never got to tap into as a, as a kid and adolescent. So I get it. But also I think the most freeing thing is when, and I know this might seem like cliche or like we're bypassing emotions here, but we're really not. Is like when you can be in gratitude and you can like feel into like the good areas of your life, even when, you know, stuff is hitting the fan, like that's going to help you shift just a little bit more. Yeah. And it can feel exhausting though, right? When you're constantly like things are coming up as you're working on your mental health, et cetera. Yeah. Well, there's two sides of it because, and this kind of ties into maybe what we'll touch on with anger a bit, but, you know, I think people in our society are very uncomfortable with feelings. I just do like, that's just like a consistent thing. And so when someone, and I'm saying this because I'm a deep feeler and I really have no problem expressing feelings. That's never been an issue for me. It's actually the opposite. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes I have to re- <laughs> like figure out how to rein them in. Um, but I've had people in my life who are uncomfortable with that. And so it's like, oh, well, stop playing the victim. And I'm like, no, I'm just telling you how that made me feel, which is that caused me pain. And to me, that's not victim mode. And kind of like no. what you were saying, like you were victimized when you were raped. That is being victimized, yeah. but it's what you do with it. Right. And so like, instead yes. of staying stuck, like now you're using your pain for your purpose. Like you're helping other people who have gone through trauma. And that that's like how I've always looked at it too, is like, well, how is this going to get me to my next evolution of myself? You know? And like, it really has like those things, like you're saying the gratitude piece, all the bad stuff that's what I would deem as quote unquote bad has helped me become such a better person than I would have been had it never happened. Like I like the person I am every time way more when I get to the other side of it. But it doesn't mean that the process to getting to the other side is pretty. It's like yeah, can be yeah. very ugly and very hard. And there are days of just feeling sorry for yourself because pain is hard, you know? Yeah. And as, as humans, I think we don't want to feel that. 
Yeah. And I think too, is like, that's such a good distinction is I'm not, you know, like saying like, these are your feelings and this is what's happening is so important. They did a, um, a research at Stanford, I believe it was at Stanford where they had all these people that had been through, you know, little T and big T traumas. Yeah. Just like all of us at this point. Right. But like yeah. they had all these people come in and they said, write what happened to you up on this board. And then they gave each one of them an eraser. And they said, if, if you can go and erase that, whatever happened to you, but you also lose all the lessons and learnings mm-hmm. that it taught you, would you still erase this pain? And no one erased it. I wouldn't. No, no chance. No. Yeah. Cause it like, it mm-hmm. formed you into the person that you are. And that's when like in the trauma world, we talk about post-traumatic growth. Yeah. It's like these things shaped you as awful as they were, but they did shape you into the person that you are today. And like, there's so much growth in that and so much beauty and so much like resilience in that, even though resilience can be exhausting, right? If you've been oh, there. Totally. Like, yeah. 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 But I mean that you can see the, you can see the end of it. The only time I ever truly feel like I see people living in the quote unquote victim mode is when they continue to try to run from the trauma and yes. not face themselves or face it or face the big bad wolf or whatever you want to call it. But it's just like when they just try to outrun it or put the blame on other people constantly. Yes. And then you can't you can't be anything but a victim. Exactly. That's that's exactly it. Yeah, you summed yeah. it up perfectly. I have yeah. a I have a couple of clients that have been like that where they're like always pointing at other people. And I'm like, Ooh. at some point, like the only person you can change in your life is you as awful as that sounds, because yeah. like we want people to change that have hurt us. Right. Oh, but, yeah. Like, the only person you can change is yourself. And the person you're in the relationship the longest with is you. So it's yeah. like, get to know yourself and like unpack the imaginary backpack that all of us are walking around in. Mm-hmm. It's honestly though, understanding that and like, I mean, I still can shift back into trying to change other people, obviously. But like when I remember, oh, wait, that's not my job and I can't do it. Like when I when I just know like it is actually impossible to try to change another person. It's really freeing, actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, phew. Like you said, I could take the weighted vest off or the weighted backpack. And it's like, that's not my job. I have enough to worry yeah. about in my own life. Versus trying to fix everyone else, you know, like, because you can't. Yeah. That's that like fawn mode. Do you know about Mm. fawn? Yes. Yeah. So so people at home that are listening, it's like fight, flight, freeze or fawn, right? So we know fight like physically or with your words, which was me. Do you watch Yellowstone? Yes. Okay. I was like, like Beth. Beth? Dutton. I was literally <laughs> like Beth until I got Love support. <laughs> I like fought with my words. I could literally drop yeah. someone to the ground with my words. Wow. Like it was gnarly. Yeah. And so whenever I say that, I'm like, people are like, what do you mean fight with your words? I was like, do you watch Yellowstone? Cause I'm yeah. a nice reference here. <laughs> um, so we know fight. Flight is like, you want to, you know, run away from the situation. Freeze is going into freeze mode where you're just yeah. paralyzed. And then fawn is people please mode. So yeah. when you get stressed out, you go into people please mode, which is where like the codependency and all of that can come into play. Um, so, I mean, I get it. Like we all have these modes in us and it's like, which one do we go to and which one's like kind of our default mode. Mm-hmm. And these modes are what have kept us alive. You know, like oh, yeah. I think a lot of people think that it, they have shame around it, but it's like this mode literally kept you alive. Survival. Yep. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm an equal opportunity mode person, like <laughs> just depends on the day, which yeah. one will be. I like to fight too. So yeah. I'm trying to put that one down. Um, we'll I'm going to use that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about anger. And I think this is just such a, you know, as I said, I'm a feeler. And so like the fight mode that it's uncomfortable and it's like shown up in relationships in a highly dysfunctional way in my past. Um, But I've learned to kind of appreciate it in some capacities too, because, you know, I don't fight until I get pushed to the point where it's like, uh, let me say this again. My therapist always says you have a high tolerance for inappropriate behavior. So like I can tolerate a lot before I get to this place. But when I get to that place, like the Cajun comes out, you better watch out all of those things. That isn't a healthy way to use anger, I don't think. But I've always been, um, or I can look back now and I can be very appreciative of the fact that I can get to anger because I know a lot of my friends or women in general cannot access anger. Mm -hmm. And I've really started to value that I can get in touch with that emotion. So can you speak to that a little bit? Like, why is that such an uncomfortable feeling for people? 
Yeah. I want to talk a little bit real quick though. The, so what, what you're talking about when you're saying that like you'll tolerate a lot and yeah. then you'll go into fight mode yeah. is so when we're talking about these fight or flight modes, you can have one that's being inhibited by the other. Okay. So essentially, if you're in freeze mode, which is where you're like, I'm tolerating, I'm tolerating, tolerating. And then you get to a point where freeze is like at its capacity, then you go into fight mode. Okay. So I'm in trauma right? the whole time. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're just in like a, you're in a hyper state. I okay. feel like when you probably get into a fight, which is yeah. all of us, right? Yeah. Like that yeah. was me for sure. I would freeze and then I would be like, okay, you're, and then I would just blow up and become Beth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Stay away or else yes. you, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so the anger piece of it is really interesting because a lot of women that come in to my practice when we're coaching, they will have the same thing. They'll just be in freeze mode or they'll be in fawn mode. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is when we, when we move through that, then the fight response comes online. Okay. And they know that it's there, but they're so scared to access it because women have been told like, you have to be perfect. And mm -hmm. like, just like smile. And like, if someone's like making you pissed off, like raise your voice a little bit, like a higher pitch tone and like right. talk that way. Right. But like, that's not the anger that I'm talking about. It's like deep, like anger, like really intense anger. And most women are like, I don't even want to touch that because either I've seen someone in my life that has expressed anger in a really unhealthy way. So I'm really scared to do that. Or they're like, I'm not an angry person. So I'm just completely shut off from that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because it's coming out in your relationships and resentment or yes. passive aggressiveness or. Okay. Yeah. So resentment and passive aggressiveness are also anger, right? Because people are oh, just yeah. like, I don't get angry or I don't, like you said, I can't access that emotion. Like, like but you're resentful as it. shit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they come out in different ways, like passive aggressiveness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When people tell me that they're like, you're not angry and then I'll hang out with them for a little bit and I'll be like, but you're really resentful, which is actually angry. Yeah. Right. Man, Turn nothing makes me more angry than a passive aggressive person. So that's a funny oh. little circle. <laughs> <laughs> like if you could just express your anger, you I'm wouldn't just like, be, just be fucking angry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, just say what you mean. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about because so if women have a hard time accessing it sometimes, what's men's typical relationship with it? Because what I've seen in a lot of men in my life is it's the only emotion they can access. So yes. are they kind of doing the opposite thing that we're mm -hmm. doing as far as their? Yeah. Okay. So they have fight as their first response yeah. because maybe, you know, running away from the situation is not un is unmanly or whatever right. the societal thing is. Right. And so fight is the thing that's like, you know, they're conditioned to do that first. They're conditioned to show anger first. But really, when you get down to it and they can move this away, like with my male clients, when they can actually move the anger out in a healthy way, it's really like they have so much sadness, mm -hmm. right? And grief. And like, they just don't even know how to process that. Like a big thing, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to look at all your guys now. Okay. A lot of guys that cannot cry or like express their anger is they'll have this bump right here. Okay. Have you ever seen that? Like a physical bump on their forehead. Like a physical bump on their forehead. Oh my gosh. Now I'm going to study all my clients. You will. So it will be like, it's literally where their tear ducts are. Okay. okay. So it's like, it follows this kind of line. And I've yeah. had clients come to me and be like, oh yeah, I got Botox there because like they told me that I just need Botox. So I was like, well, if you cried for like a bit. Are you serious? I'm not shitting you. So literally. it is like built up grief? 
it's built up tears. It's literally tears that, and I will get it sometimes when I don't like process when I'm like, you know, when we're talking about it, when I'm go, go, go mode. Yeah. And so now I'll look at guys and I'll be like, because you just can't unsee the things that you see. Of you course. Know? Yeah. Once so you I'll know, just you can't look unknown. around and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Like I'm like scanning for who's able to actually process it. Oh my but God, you'll you get just... like big bumps, like big bumps on the forehead. I like add this to my dating profile now. Yeah. <laughs> like, show me a picture of your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is like oh, the anger my is so. God. Yeah. My husband used to have it really bad. And then when he finally was able to cry, it's like no longer there anymore. But yeah, gnarly. That is crazy. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that. Like when people say mm. that emotions don't manifest physically. Oh, BS. Yes. I mean, that is like yeah. the biggest lie I feel. Yeah. And, and I felt that. Misconception. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I felt that because it's like my my trauma started showing up in physical ways. It's yeah. showing up in autoimmunity. Well, autoimmune. And yeah, it's like 65% of Americans right now have an autoimmune condition. I'm like, no shit. Yeah, because we don't know how to deal or process or... Yeah, we everyone just went through a two-year like fight or flight mm -hmm. mode. And mm -hmm. so we're just passing out, you know, medication after medication instead of helping them with their mental health or like process what's coming up because maybe they shoved down for 30 years the stuff yeah. that happened to them. Yeah. And now it came up in COVID. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But the anger thing is really big. So guys, really, I feel like, you know, anger and sadness are really closely related. And so what about guys are fear? Like, I've always wondered. Fear about that. is fear is like the I mean, fear comes online in all the fight or flight responses, okay. right? Because you you get fearful. But mm -hmm. fear. Yeah, I would say fear mostly manifests in. I mean, all of them. I'm yeah, say, it's like yeah, the all underlying thing to all of that's kind of what I was wondering. Because yeah. I think with guys and like, I'm really actually glad that these conversations are starting to happen a lot more, but the older I get and the deeper kind of connecting relationships I have with men, the more I'm learning, like they do feel just as much as we do, but they don't if not necessarily, more. yeah, if not more, exactly. But they don't necessarily either know how to access it or they don't feel comfortable to express it because of their programming from being told as a kid, like, you can't do that. Boys don't do that. Men don't do that, you know? Yep. And then society is then sitting there going, oh, why are you sad? Or like, why are right. you What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Yeah. So yeah. if you don't have a friend like you, that's like, it's fine. I'm a safe space. Mm -hmm. Then they're like, I don't know how to process this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of those like small change things that has to happen, which is great that you have this podcast so that people can like learn more about it. But I also think too, is like, we have to give men the space to talk about their mental health yeah. and to feel safe. And even if it scares you when like your man is talking about their mental health, yeah. it's like, that's something in you that you have to work through. Like, totally. so being a safe space is like the best thing that you can try and do. Right. I think that programming is it's for all of us because it's like, we've also gotten so used to men being that way that when they do show the more sensitive side, it's uncomfortable for us too. Or for me, it has been like, I'm like, no, 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 I need a masculine man. And it's like, no, that is still a masculine man. <laughs> but it's just, you know, like that was like something I had to really kind of adjust to. And I didn't even realize that was in my head. And especially as a person who is pretty comfortable with feelings, like in all of my friends are calling me when they have a bad day. Like I'm the one that they know will sit with them in it. You know, like it's just yeah. like that stuff. But with men specifically, that's been a little bit harder for me to access. So I think it's all of us that really need to face that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Men's mental health is huge. Like the statistics on it is like, just hug a man in your life. Like the next time oh, you yeah. see them, because it's like the statistics are wild. Like they're the number one for suicide. Like mm-hmm. they are the last people to go and get help and support. And it mm-hmm. literally breaks my heart because they, they need it, you know, yeah. like they need support to that and they need a place to process it and still feel manly. Like I think actually healing is hot. And so if you are a man out there listening, like, please, like, I mean, I think that we're finally starting to shift the narrative that like being emotionally healthy and healing from your past is actually attractive. Yeah. It's the hottest thing to me for sure. Yeah. Anyone (laughs) on a self and a self, like, uh, you know, healing journey or whatever you want to call it is like, yeah. Like without that, I'm really not drawn to anyone anymore because you have to have some sort of self-awareness. Right. But yeah. I feel like me, a 21 year old would be like, no. Yeah. No, you know? let's go out and have yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's funny how things shift. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like the younger generation is definitely leaning more towards that. So it's been I cool to see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Allie, if anyone wants to know more about your business or they want to work with you, where would they find you? Yeah. So everything on social media is AllieKates.co. And then my website is www.AllieKates.co. You can just DM me or email me. And what does it look like if someone would sign on to do a coaching you know, program with you? What kind of process would you take them through? Yeah. So I work with clients in like three, six month, year long capacities. I also do VIP days. So if you want like just kind of like five hours or six hours of like intensive working on the body, you know, moving anger and trauma out of the body, we can do that. Um, so it really just depends on what you're looking for. Okay. Amazing. Well, you guys go check it out. I'll put all Allie's info in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It was so fun to meet you. Yeah. It's like you. girl talk slash trauma talk. I know. I love it. <laughs> all right. Thanks thank for you guys me. for listening. Thanks for listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson, where we believe everyone has a little velvet and a little edge. Subscribe for more conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. Search Velvet's Edge wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.